Hello, and welcome to Conductors, Composers, and Coffee, presented by Warrior River Coffee Company. Here at Conductors, Composers, and Coffee, we only drink the finest, and that's why we use Warrior River Coffee Company. Family and former music educator owned, you can get your coffee shipped to you anywhere in the U.S. right from Warrior, Alabama. Try them out at www.wrcoffeeco.com backslash shop and use promo code MUSIC1919 for a discount. Thank you for joining us on episode number two of Conductors, Composers, and Coffee. And this time we have special guest, Dr. Jean Fambro from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Dr. Fambro, how are you doing? Doing great. I appreciate you having me on board. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to this interview and this conversation. And I think it's going to be a, a wonderful experience for our, our listeners. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about who you are and your musical background for those who don't know you? finishing my 22nd year at UAB. Um, very fortunate that uh, I landed in this position here. It allows me to do a little bit of everything and we'll of course get into that as we as we talk a little bit more but um, I'm assistant director of bands, professor of percussion um, and like I said I started in 2001 and, and um, still going with that. In terms of like my, my my background, um, what got me into music was um, drumming. <laughs> um, and it, it's it's actually kind of a, an interesting story that how I started playing drums. I just, I, as far as I remember, I, I somehow remember like listening to music and just kind of zeroing in on the drums. And I was like, okay, I kind of see what's going on really good friend of mine uh, from my childhood years lived in the neighborhood and, and played guitar and he was a huge he, he was from Canada and he was a huge Rush fan so he got me started into Rush and so we all just kind of joked and listened to Rush a lot and whatever <clears throat> and as it turns out um, my grandfather uh, lived right around the corner from us I mean literally like two houses away and he uh, in his retirement he was doing a lot of welding making copper sculptures and things like that going to art shows and selling them and um i remember one one day just rummaging around in his basement uh and i found a symbol an, an old symbol and i just i must have been like 10 11 12 i don't really remember and i picked it up and i was like i know what this is <laughs> goes to a drum set this is perfect so i put it to the side and i was rummaging around a little bit more and i found another one I mean, it was cracked. They were old. They probably didn't sound good. Uh, and then as I rummaged a little bit more, I found uh, some copper rods. They were about the size of drumsticks, uh, good length, good diameter. Grabbed two of those, grabbed my two cymbals, walked back to the house, and I said, Mom, look what I found. And, she, you know, she was like, oh, boy. <laughs> and I would take those cymbals and, like, lay them upside down on the carpet in my room like use the, the sticks and like kind of rough up the carpet into circles and so i would have my little drum set and just drum on the floor and hit cymbals and i don't know 40 years later here i am <laughs> so uh where did you attend school uh and i know you've been to three different schools so maybe tell us a little bit about each one and who are your musical mm -hmm. influences or mentors uh, as you're going through school and growing up um went to undergrad at university of georgia um, and really, I'm, I'm from the Atlanta area, so um, my dad being the old school dad that he was, he was like, you can go anywhere you want to as long as it's in the state of Georgia. <laughs> he, I mean, he wasn't going to pay for me to go out of state anyway. Um, and, and really, I, 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 saw, I went to one of their honor band events, and I saw their drum line, and I was like, oh, that's where I'm going. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so and when I went through undergrad, I was just, you know, it was just a sponge. I mean, in terms of musical mentors, I mean, anybody that I saw that was better than me <laughs> was my mentor. I was like, oh, wow, I want to play like that guy. I mean, I remember my freshman year, one of the guys in the drum line was just a monster player. I had never seen anything like that. And it was just like when he played, 
it sounded like a machine. And I was like, I want to be able to do that. I, that's, you know, that's, that sounds cool. Um, you know, and as I went, went through school, you know, studying with, uh, Dr. McCutcheon, Tony McCutcheon. Um, he was a huge influence. Um, and, and really he was a, a, such a big influence because he, he let me explore things. He let me do what I wanted to do. Um, and you know, when I came to him, uh, for my senior recital and we were programming my senior recital, I told him I wanted to write something. And that was the first composition that I wrote. And I said, I, I want to write something. And I had this idea and, uh, he was like, great, let's do it. And so, you know, I was kind of expecting, you know, a, a hard and fast no, but he was very supportive in that manner. Um, <clears throat> of course, of course, we'll come back and come back around to that and how it, how that started. But, um, after that, I went to East Carolina university, studied with Mark Ford, um, after I finished my master's, uh, and really that was, um, that was a great time in my life because it was, it was just purely music. <laughs> you know, I, there was in Greenville, uh, North Carolina, there is nothing to do. So practicing and listening to music, I mean, that was it. And, um, really at, when I finished my master's, I had, uh, no intent of going on at that point. I wanted to get a job and work for a little bit and then, then come back and maybe start my doctorate. But, um, as it, ha as it turned out, there was a flyer advertising a um, graduate assistant position to teach the drum line at Alabama. And, uh, I was like, well, I'll just put my name in the hat just in case nothing else pans out and nothing else panned out. <laughs> and then I ended up in Tuscaloosa for my doctorate. And, uh, which was great because I was in the neighborhood, uh, ended up teaching at Oak Grove, um, and living in Birmingham. And then, uh, the previous instructor at UAB, Eric Hollenbeck, um, had me come out at, you know, from time to time to help with their basic line, um, to help with, uh, percussion ensemble when he was out of town. So that was a huge, uh, a, a boost and great experience. And I, you know, learned you know, got to know some of the students, got to know the, the building a little bit and, and the facilities and um, <clears throat> not really any of, of the other faculty, but just, you know, kind of being on board. And then when the job came open, you know, I applied and was in the right place at the right time. And, and uh, then here I am. <laughs> right. So do any of those mentors, like, do you still have a close connection with them today? Yeah, um, just had Mark Ford out um, last year for our symposium. Um, and he's always been super supportive, um, of, you know, anything I do and, and, and any of the pieces that I write, uh, you know, several of the pieces that I have, uh, he's helped me get published and he's published with his new, uh, company Musicon publications. Um, Dr. Uh, McCutcheon hasn't been, um, doing as much lately, but, um, I did have him come and play with the steel band, um, at, at one point, uh, when he was still, uh, when he was still teaching, um, and that was a great experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, like I said, he was, he was super supportive too in the early years as well. Um, but those are the biggest ones. Um, and, and really, I mean, to backtrack just a little bit, um, you know, I mentioned growing up on listening to Rush, uh, when I was in high school and Neil Peart was just like the biggest influence of them all, yes. you know? Um, coming home from high school, putting on the headphones, listening to records or cassettes, <laughs> uh, and just drumming along to, to all that music. That was how I learned how to play in seven, eight. I didn't know what was, that it was hard at the time. I was just like, oh, that's kind of, got kind of a weird lilt. And then I would play along to it and then go back later and be counting, counting to it. It was like, oh, that's in seven. And then maybe later when I figured out more about the notation aspect, you know, I would be able to look down and see, oh, that's how that looks. And, and things just made more sense to me that way. But, um, <clears throat> and, and really, I guess when I was, I don't know when I started, um, got into some of his books, I always knew that he was like a super smart individual. He obviously wrote all their lyrics. Um, but then he had, in the mid nineties, he started writing novels. Uh, so I guess it was maybe, um, 
10, 15 years ago, I, I read the first book of his. And if you or anyone listening hasn't read any of Neil Peart's books, oh my goodness, you have to check it out. Right. Just, I remember a couple of times in studio class, we brought up some some excerpts from right. his books, and you would ha- hand them out to us, have us have us read those. And yeah, no, I can I yep. can back that. He's a phenomenal <laughs> uh, author. Uh, yeah. Almost a philosopher. Yeah, I mean for sure. Um, so he, you know, and he passed away in 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 the uh, in January of 2020, and that I think that started everything in 2020. Mm-hmm. Right? That was the that was the downfall of 2020. That was just completely out of the blue, you know, a shock. And um, I was just so happy at that point that my, I convinced my wife to go with me uh, to Chicago and see them on their last tour, you know, because that, that was the last time that they were they were out on the road. But anyway, not to make this into a Rush podcast, but <laughs> there you go. So going into college, uh, did you want to be a teacher? Did you want to perform? Were you just kind of open to things or did anybody influence you into the direction that you went? So, um, the latter years of high school, I ended up obviously being section leader of my high school drum line. Um, and I realized that, um, you know, really from a early time, like the first year that I was marching, I was in ninth grade, I was the youngest in the snare line. And, you know, the the music, (laughs) when we would get music and the other guys, the older guys couldn't figure it out. And I would just look at it and I'm like, well, doesn't it go like this? And they would go, hey. Play that, can you play that again? I'm like, well, that's just what it says it is. I don't know why that's hard. You know, the reading music just made sense to me. And then as I went through high school, um, <clears throat> I liked helping people. I liked helping, you know, the younger people get better. And let's figure out this part. And let's, hey, let me show you this. And, you know, so it just became a natural thing to where when I was a senior, I was like, well, I, I guess I'm going to go into music education. You know, I guess maybe I need to figure out this xylophone thing and <laughs> figure out my way how to play some stuff on mallets. Um, and then, you know, really, so that was just the thought. In the back of my mind, I really wanted to, like, I started off and I was like, I want to tour the world with a rock band. That's that's what I wanted to do. I'm, I'm a drum set player and I'm going to go and that's going to be the thing. Um, <clears throat> fortunately, my older brother ended up going into the, sound business like running sound for bands and then there was one time he was coming through um uh athens and i went and visited him and he was just busting his tail just moving equipment and sweating and i'm you know this dingy nightclub and smells like you know beer and sticky floors and all this kind of stuff and he's just sweating and i'm like going this doesn't look too glamorous (laughs) you know got to know the right people the right time and uh and and really the more i was around at at campus in in athens you know it was almost like my my first semester i walked into a lesson with dr mccutcheon and i was like hold on a second you can teach drums at a college that's what i'm gonna do (laughs) i realized that if i was teaching at a college i could still do the performing thing you know, I could still perform when I wanted to, um, either picking up gigs on the side or doing recitals or things like that. Um, but if I was just um, just a performer, I couldn't necessarily teach. And the more experience I got helping people, the more I really enjoyed that aspect of, you know, you know seeing the light bulb go off and uh, helping students accomplish what they want to do and, and – uh, so, you know, I, I feel that I have the best of both worlds, you know, now in, in my position. For sure. Well, so. that's a good segue into the next question. So uh, being the assistant director at UAB, what all does your job entail? Because um, I know you have your hands in a what lot of different it? things. So, yeah, no, right. Um, so maybe just kind of talk about a little bit of uh, a little bit of everything that you do. Right. The, the main thing is I'm in charge of all the percussion. Uh, anything that has anything to do with percussion, they come to me, <laughs> which is good sometimes and sometimes it's not. But um, so I teach all the lessons, uh, run the percussion ensemble, um, run steel band when we have a steel band. Uh, of course, I am in charge of the marching percussion section uh, of the marching band. Um, <clears throat> oversee um 
concert band percussion section, make sure that they're doing things right. I don't have to be in there every single rehearsal, um, but I just, you know, I like to make sure that, that they're doing things the right way. Um, and then the, the other thing, the other big thing that I have to do is basketball band. I um, organize that, um, I'm responsible for setting the calendar, um, dividing the group into into different groups so that we can cover all the events and then making sure everybody is in the right place at the right time. And then, um, uh, yeah, that's pretty much, I don't have to do all of the games, thank goodness. Between myself and the other two directors, we we alternate and, and get the calendar filled out. But right. um, yeah, um, you know, and, I, and the, yeah, you were still here at UAB, but the year that I was interim director, um, <clears throat> that was that was um, a very interesting experience, yes. um, you know. And it was like it came came about at a, kind of late in the academic year, in mid March or late March. I don't remember. Um, <clears throat> and I agreed to do it, and you know, I was questioning whether or not I wanted to or not, and then. <laughs> I, I told my wife what was going on and, and she was like, yes, you're taking it. Yes. You're going to do it because in what other career could I just test out a job for a year and then, okay, I didn't like that. I'm going to go back to my old position because that, that was, that was the key was that if I didn't get the job or didn't want the job, I could come back to my studio position, position of being an assistant band. And I was like, okay. And the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, if I don't, I can't complain about the music choice because I'm picking all the music. <laughs> I can't complain about the schedule because I'm making the schedule. Um, so that was fun. I got to conduct uh, several pieces that I that I really wanted to conduct. Um, uh, had a great time doing that. And then by the time all of that was over, I, I did go through the interview pr process. I decided to put my name in the hat for the full-time position. Uh, and I went through the... Um, second to the last set of interviews to become a finalist. Um, and I didn't get past that interview. And then when I, uh, the, our department chair called me and was like, Hey, just want to appreciate, you know, let you know that we all appreciate your time and thought and effort. And just wanted to let you know that you're not one of the finalists. And then for about three seconds, I was like, Oh man. And then I was like, okay, great. <laughs> I'm going to go back and teach percussion and it'll be great. <laughs> and it was like, you know, and I, and I knew just knowing myself, I knew that I would have been, I would have always, always had that question mark of what would have happened, you know, had I applied it. And so I, I knew that if I would have, if I would have was thinking that way about, you know, not knowing, then I was like, well, let me just go ahead and try and see what happens. Right. And, um, it, it all worked out great. <laughs> so this leads us into uh, your composition experience. So what experiences do you have uh, in terms of composition and uh, what groups do you or have you written for? The biggest, um, most um, most often thing that I do is write for the drum, do the arranging for the drum line. Um, I've dabbled in some percussion ensemble things. Um, and really, my my, I'm not, it's hard to kind of put this you know into to a good place to start. But I always wanted to write more things, but I couldn't find good um, inspiration um, or good time to write or feel like I could generate enough ideas. Whatever the case might be at the time, I, I always felt like you know. Mm, I don't know. I, I'm more comfortable just writing rhythms and doing drumline stuff, you know, and that's just a matter of experience, just being in front of a drumline, you know, writing down some different ideas, playing through them and saying, oh, that works cool. I like that. And boy, that sounds ridiculous. I'm never going to do that again. Um, <clears throat> but, um, you, you know, at, at first, the when I mentioned earlier, the the first piece that I wrote, it was strictly a, a drum thing, you know, uh, there's a piece called three cycles for snare drum, um, three different solo movements. Um, the three movements are called then now and soon to be then is played on a rope drum with a bass drum accompaniment. Now is a concert drum with timpani accompaniment. 
and then soon to be is a marching snare drum with visuals and drum machine accompaniment and all that kind of stuff. It's meant to kind of go through the time period. Um, and it started off as though I was going, I was already playing a drum set thing on my senior recital at Georgia. Um, and I had started putting some things together on, on with a drum machine that I had, and I was going to start it, um, play with the drum machine on drum set. And, um, and I was like, well, wait a minute, I already have a drum set thing. So hmm, what else could I do? And I just, it just kind of, you know, evolved into, into that configuration and like i said dr mccutcheon was like yeah that sounds great well you know go for it <laughs> and so that was super fun i always wanted to write something like get into writing something for marimba except i didn't know how i, I felt like that was so far above me and so far like i don't know enough about melodic stuff and harmony and you know i barely got through music theory and <laughs> like any like any other drummer right um and and really what started that route was when I when I got to my master's degree and um, <clears throat> I was working through whatever and I, I don't remember who this was at the time but we were talking about things and um, they, they said if you ever have a problem with a technique or an idea or something write an etude using that technique so Okay, and so for me, it happened to be a certain sticking pattern that I was trying to work myself through. Uh, and when I got to this specific pattern, my hands were just kind of locked up and my brain was just kind of, nope, you're not going to do that today. And it was just like, why is this so frustrating? And so I remembered that advice. And um, one, one day up at uh, East Carolina, I finished my classes, went home, got, you know, ate some dinner changed my clothes, got comfortable, went back up to school to practice, and I grabbed my mallets and I plunked them down on the marimba. And that particular chord, I was like, whoa, that's kind of cool. I like that. And, it, you know, didn't really think about playing a specific chord. I just went bloom. And then I started doing the sticking pattern. And then for whatever reason, I changed chords. And then I changed chords again. And then I went to a different chord. And then I went to a different chord and then I resolved everything. And I was like, what just happened? <laughs> you know, and like three hours later, I had like two minutes of a piece. And I was like, oh, oh okay, this is kind of cool. <laughs> and then I, I just took off with that and, and ran with it. I ended up going through doing a doing a modulation. I was like, I don't even know how that worked. I don't even I barely even know what a modulation is. And then I just did one and it sounds cool to me. I don't think I'm following any theory rules. You know, the, you know, you learn all these rules in theory and then eventually you forget them and you do your own thing anyway. And then eventually I had like four minutes of a piece. And uh, the second part of that equation was when I, st when I started at East Carolina, uh, part of my assistantship was working in the computer lab. Um, now, mind you, this is 1993. And computers are very new. Finale had just come out. I, you know, I found out I was working in the computer lab, and I was like, I don't even know how to turn on a computer, let alone do anything with this. And and you know, the guy was like, Well, this is great for you. This is perfect. You can you can now learn. And so I, you know, my job was basically just to not let anyone steal a computer or a keyboard <laughs> or spill coffee on it. Or, um, and I just sat in there and fiddled around with finale and used a little basic um, vocal choral setting for the sounds. And I wrote like a little chorale. Oh, what happens when you do this? And what happens when you do that? Oh, that's what happens. And then, oh, what did I do? I deleted everything, you know, and just through the course of a couple of months, I figured out how to use finale. And I would write part of a chorale, print it out, <clears throat> take it upstairs to the practice room and play through it on marimba. And then these two ideas, I pieced them together, and be, be, that became the first mallet solo that I wrote. Mm -hmm. And it's published now. It was uh, well, it was published by Innovative Percussion, and Mark Ford helped me out with that. Um, it's called Night Songs. If anybody wants to dig it up, um, I don't think I've had anybody play it here. I've not had any of my students play it here. But anyway, that was the the first thing I wrote, and um, I ended up playing it on like a student composer's recital or something 
that you know up at East Carolina, and then um, that kind of lit a little little bit of a spark, I guess. Um, <clears throat> fast forward a couple of a uh, couple of years, and I was at Alabama, and I remember this particular time of year we were playing a Ron Nelson piece. I want to say it was wasn't Rocky Point Holiday. I want to say it was Sonoran Desert Holiday. Um, and I had the marimba part. And so the marimba part also had cortales on the part. And so, um, I had, I had everything set up, uh, before rehearsal and, you know, had a few minutes to spare and I started noodling through a different idea that I had kind of come up with in the practice room. And, you know, most of my ideas happen for keyboard anyway, happen like at the instrument. I, I write at the instrument. I don't like compose on pen and paper and then go back and try to play it. Um, <clears throat> so I had this little idea and I'm, I was playing through it here and I ended up like playing the, playing the idea and I smacked a crotale in the middle of it and it rang and I was like, I kept playing. And I was like, hold on a second. I just got another idea that sounded really cool. And so like, practice ended and I grabbed the crotales, went to the practice room and spent another couple of hours just noodling around on ideas. And that eventually worked itself into the next piece that I wrote. Um, <clears throat> the basic idea was that I'm going to accompany myself on marimba. So everything else was sustaining metallic sounds. The crotales, um, a vibraphone with the pedal fixed down, uh, wind chimes, cymbals and all this kind of stuff. And, and it just kind of grew into something else. And I was able to, I did that on my second doctoral recital. So just, you know, just kind of a fluke, really. Um, I didn't set out to write a new thing. It just kind of happened, uh, naturally evolved out of the things that were happening at that time. And I've, I've discovered, you know, as, as I get older is that, you know, it's hard for me to go to the marimba and say, all right, I need to write something. And it has to be just something that happens. It has to be organic just as a result of, I'm just going to noodle around and see what happens. And then sometimes it ends up being a cool idea. And sometimes it might be a cool idea and I forget it the next day. And I have no idea what I did. And other times it doesn't go anywhere. That's kind of how the early part of, the, the early beginnings of me writing marimba music, I guess, only music, started. Um, and then the next the next big piece I, I wrote, um, I'd say it's probably the, the biggest one that I wrote. Um, it's called Medal of Honor. Um, and I wrote that for my, um, for my first uh, faculty recital here at UAB. Um, and again, that was just written completely at the instrument. Um, just playing with ideas and seeing where it would take me. I found a, I found a really cool progression in a, in, in a key that, that laid really well for me on the, on the marimba. And, um, I don't know. I mean, it was just like every day I would just sit there and noodle with it for an hour, hour and a half. And fortunately I didn't have a lot of students at the time. So I had a lot of free time and, um, it ended up being like a, I want to say 11 or 12 minute piece or something like that. Any other solo lit or percussion ensemble literature other than what you just mentioned that you would like to talk about um, and maybe kind of talk about how you got the inspiration <clears throat> for those as well? I, I mean, you know, I, I wrote, I did a couple of uh, arrangements for percussion ensemble. Um, uh, what were they? Uh, the Sunken Cathedral by Debussy. Um, I made an arrangement of that. I made an arrangement of um, a list uh, piano piece, uh, Nuage Gris. Um, I did those. I, we played those at UAB, and then I ended up, um, um, yeah, I ended up, like, sending them in after that. So it wasn't anything that was, um, like, commissioned or anything. I do have one commission, to my credit. And I think you were still in school when I did that. Um, they, and that was that's the only piece that I've written where I didn't try to play it. Mm -hmm. um, basically, uh, Brian Smith at Valdosta State um, asked me to write a piece for him. Um, and I guess this was, yeah, this was after the CD came out. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, this is great. I've never had anybody 
commission something from me. Um, what do you want? What do you want? What, what instrument? What do you want? How long? You know, technical, lyrical, what do you want? He's like, that's all up to you. <laughs> and I'm like, on, on one hand, that's great. On the other hand, I'm like, I have no idea what to do. <laughs> you know, so similar to me saying, uh, when I go to the marimba and say, I want to write something, it didn't, it didn't work. Now I was being told or asked, could you please write something for me? And it's all up to you. I was like, I have no idea where to start. I don't know what he wants. And so I had to kind of search for the inspiration. And it led me to that, the story of the beauty of um, the, the broken water pail. Basically, the farmer has the water pail that has a very small leak in it. And he's, you know, goes to get water, drags it up to his house. And over the course of, you know, months or or a year or whatever, um, he realizes that because of the leak in the in the in the pot, that it has watered the trail that he walked, and there was a wonderful blooming garden of flowers, and it was all beautiful all the way up. And so there was the the idea that um, there was beauty even in something that was not beautiful, mm-hmm. the broken pot. So the beauty in the Beauty in the Broken is the is what I called it, and it was kind of that was the inspiration. And I can guess, I guess I can kind of um, use that to to make a segue into like some of the other things on on the CD. Um, I had been wanting to write to record a CD for years and years and years. For all you youngins out there, the CD is a compact disc, um, and it's so funny because I still have like two boxes of them. I have like 200 of them left and I give them out to students nowadays. And they're like, I don't, we don't have a CD player in my house. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Okay. So, well, if you, if you have a CD, if you have a CD drive on your computer, which those are even becoming rare, it'll work. So oh, anyway, but it is on Spotify. So, and iTunes and <laughs> Amazon, all that stuff. But, um, you know, I wanted to write, uh, to record a CD for a long time. And um, I remember talking to uh, Andy Harnsberger about this, and and I was like, look, I'm you know submitting you know for a grant to record a CD, but I don't know what literature to record. All the all the classics have been done, have been recorded, probably in a better way that I could even you know try to uh, try to do myself. So, and he was like, uh, you just write write original stuff. We need more music. We need more music, so all original. And oh, okay. <laughs> um, and and really, that kind of sparked everything. So it went from a combination of little ideas and snippets of things that I had worked out, like maybe on marimba. And I was like, okay, I have this idea, and that was the the um, the main piece. Occam's razor was I have this idea for something. And, I, and it's, I want it to be marimba and percussion quartet, just so I could like, it's a piece that I have. If I go visit a school, I could work this up and we could do it on a, on a recital with very little rehearsal. <clears throat> and like the title, the choosing titles for, for me is like a very, that's the interesting thing, you know? It's like, but sometimes it's either a natural, oh, this, this is going to, this is this piece and I'm going to call it this and it's perfect. Okay. Sometimes it's the last thing that comes to you. And it's like, I have no idea what I'm going to call this piece, which there's another great story about one of the other pieces about that on that CD. Um, and sometimes it's, it's like, I get, I, I hear a, a phrase or a title and I'm like, that is a good piece. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm going to use that for a title for my piece. I have a, I have a note in my phone that has like four or five different titles of pieces. Mm-hmm. None of them have been written yet, <laughs> but these are like, these are titles that I want to, that I want to write around. Right. Um, so for Occam's Razor, that was just like, it, it was a phrase I heard. I was like, I got to look this up and see what it means. And basically it's, it's the, the theory that among competing ideas, the simplest one is usually the best. And I was like, hmm, okay. So when I'm writing the piece now, if I like, I would think, okay, it's called Occam's Razor. That's cool. I like that. I'm going to go with it. But 
at any time I got to a point and was like, I want to beef this up a little bit. I was like, no, Occam's razor says you can't do that. So I'm going to keep it more simple. Mm -hmm. And so that was how that integrated into that piece. A piece that I found the title of first was Shadow Facts. Shadow Facts is the horse that Gandalf rode in, in Lord of the Rings. I was like, that's just a cool name. It just sounds cool, Shadow Facts. <laughs> so for me, it sounded like it was a marching snare drum thing. And marching snare drum and quartet. There was none of that music around. So I'm going to write something that's marching snare drum and uh, percussion quartet called Shadow Facts. And of course, I'm going to use a lot of dump dig it up, dig it up, dig it up, dig it up, dig it up motive in the piece. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I knew that was going to be part of it. Um, and I remember, you remember um, Joe Collins. Yes. Okay, so um, he heard. I first, I first started the the first draft of that when when he was around, and um, that piece started off with just concert bass drum, very soft. Boom, 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 and three four. Just kind of then it went on from there, and he was he was listening to it um, in the early stages. Um, and then he asked me, he was like, why did you start it off like that? That seems so bizarre that you would start a piece like that that's for marching snare drum. It seems like it would start off more aggressive. And this is another thing, another hint for all you composers out there. Steal, 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 and borrow from as many different places as you can. That opening is from bum, ba -da -dum, the very beginning of Star Wars Episode Three. So if you know the first scene, the first scene in that is that big galactic war there on the on the outside of Coruscant. It starts off about the same tempo, but that always struck me. I was like, man, that is such a cool way to start something, you know. But of course, that was John Williams' idea, <laughs> and it goes into completely different. But that's where I stole that idea from. Could have a conversation about John Williams and his <laughs> ideas anyway, so you're fine. I just I just played with the symphony uh, Saturday night, Alabama Symphony, and oh my gosh, Jurassic Park. Here, that music is incredible anyway, but hearing it played by an orchestra and being in that in that I mean I was I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Just incredible. Oh my goodness. I'm sure being there in person that is a anyway, moving experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is on that <clears throat> CD? Um, the the Marimba Chorale, basically, uh, I wanted to write another piece for my wife. Um, and she just went through, like, at that same time, she was reading something by Emily Dickinson and posted the first line of the poem, Where Thou Art, That Is Home. Or, or no, she, maybe she posted the whole poem, I don't remember. I was like, man, that's beautiful. It's mm -hmm. perfect. Where Thou Art. That is home. So that was the title of the chorale. <laughs> I think maybe I had the chorale, the title first. I don't remember on that one. Um, the the most interesting one I think is the um, the small multi percussion piece. Uh, Mario Mario can't dance in the kitchen. Yes, I was going to ask you about that one. <laughs> um, and so for all you listeners out there, um, I, I knew I wanted to write a piece that was. Not about my kids, but loosely inspired by my kids. I have three kids. They're all very different from each other. I have an older son, uh, and uh, he's you know very. Um, I don't know how what word to describe him as, but he's um, things have to be planned. Things have to be in order. You know, can't throw him any any curveballs. You know, it's it's no, that's not in the plan for today. <laughs> Andrew, the middle son, is just a, a goofball, crazy energy, and then Grace is my daughter. So I was writing this piece, and I was like, okay, I've got some ideas, real small, multiple percussion thing, didn't want to have anything big, um, and I didn't know what to call it. So we're, I'm sitting there at the kitchen table, and I'm jotting some ideas down, and she was two or three at the time, three probably, and um, she was sitting on the table. 
Um, and the two boys were in the living room playing Mario Kart on the on the Wii or whatever it was. And um, <clears throat> the Mario Kart theme comes on, and I start kind of bouncing my head a little bit. And Grace said, no, Mario can't dance in the kitchen. That is like, per- I just wrote it down right then. I was like, thank you. That is the best title ever. So everybody sees it, and they're like, what in the world is that? And I'm like, you got to know the story. And it's perfect. It's about the kids. And, uh, you know, I love it. Right. And, <clears throat> you know, so sometimes with, with me, it's the piece comes first, and then the title gets attached to it later. Sometimes I hear a title and then have to write around that and mm-hmm. figure out what, what that's going to be. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. But hopefully it, it's hopefully the marriage of those those things is something that, that works for people. So what's your process for writing? And is it any different whenever you're writing for marching percussion than it is for solo literature? Um, or has <clears> it kind of progressed as you've gotten older and more experienced? Have you kind of seen like like some things trade off back and forth between the two? Well, um, a couple of things with, with that. I've, I've found that I'm much more productive <laughs> writing for uh, marching percussion. And usually that's because I have a template to go with. Like, here's a chart. We need drumline parts. Great. I can write something that goes with that. I've been doing it for decades. (laughs) I can do that pretty quickly. I can do it um, without, like, I know the tempo. I know what feels good in the hands. I know what works on tenors for the most part. I can write a lot of that without having to test it out just by looking at it and just plugging things in. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> for for solo stuff, I, I, you know, I, I really, especially on marimba, I have to like noodle with it. Um, one of the other pieces on the CD called Torch, um, I was finishing up, finishing up a lesson with somebody. Um, I didn't, I never made a note of who I finished up a who that was that I finished up a lesson. It could have been you for that, for all that matters. Um, but I remember just, we were wrapping it up and I was in my office and I was like, okay, well, um, you know, take the same stuff that we've been talking about and work on it and let's make it better for next week. And um, as the student was packing up all their stuff, I just played this little da 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 And I was like, that's kind of cool. And then the student left and I stayed like for another hour just playing around with that idea. And just because it was it was fast, it was a it was a technique that I didn't use a lot of. I remember leaving work that day and I was like, man, I just gave myself a blister mm-hmm. <laughs> just from playing that th- that one thing so much. I was like, that's kind of crazy. So, you know, sometimes it comes easy to me, and this kind of ties back into what we were talking about earlier. And and sometimes it's it's not so much an easy thing. Um, back in 2020, I signed up for the composing for percussion for percussion seminar that Omar Carmenates runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was great. I took some lessons with uh, Tom Rarick from the Bluecoats, um, Dave Hall, who's now at UNT, uh, took an arranging lesson with Omar, and I took a lesson with uh, Gemma Peacock as well. Um, and I was like, I'm getting out of my comfort zone. I just want to get some other ideas, some fresh ideas. And um, <clears throat> Dave Hall was, I mean, I love all of his stuff for percussion ensemble. You probably played a thing or two of his. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, what did we play? Was it Doors? Does that sound Doors right? Surfacing? Um, I don't think we played Surfacing. Maybe, um, I think I do. Uh, maybe a piece. Though. Yeah, Doors, um, uh, Chamber Piece, Disc Architecture. I think maybe you played on. Oh, all. yes. Uh, me, Andrew, Joe, and the scenario. James. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway he had some great great advice you know i was i was trying to get uh, one thing that i've never done is written a um a large percussion ensemble piece like just an original large percussion ensemble piece i want to do that i can't find the right way to sit down and get that started but he said a, a couple of things he said well you do a lot of arranging for drumline, just approach it the same way. I'm like, okay. The problem is that I need the source material. <laughs> so I need to come up with a theme or an idea first, and then I can kind of flesh it out and blow it up for that. 
maybe that's the next process, uh, the next next project I have. Like I said, I have all those titles uh, ready to go. Um, all all of those people that I that I took lessons with, they all said, write something every day. It doesn't matter if you use it or not. Just write every day, even if it's thirty minutes, even if it's four measures. Just write something. It's it's a muscle. Use that muscle. Um, don't feel like you have to write every piece starting at the very beginning. Sometimes you'll write something and like, this is a good midsection of the piece, or this is a good transition. Then you just got to figure out the pieces around it, which is good. Now for me <laughs> is finding that time to actually write something every day, which is really hard to do. <laughs> right. well, um, you know, you're not, you're not that busy or anything. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and this is kind of a, a segue from that, is that um, a few years ago, um, you've probably noticed all the posts on social media that of all the, like, we have two percussion ensembles now, mm -hmm. um, posting a lot more videos for drumline and things like that. Basically, um, I gave up everything that I didn't have to do at UAB, <laughs> so performing composing um i'm like and writing articles i'm like none of that stuff is helping is i mean it's helping me creatively yes but it wasn't doing anything for the boots on the ground right so i was like let me focus on teaching the students that are here recruiting new students and retaining the students that are here and so that was like i'm starting that i'm just kind of put everything on hold so if it didn't immediately help what was going on here at UAB, I wasn't going to mess with it. And it's worked. Um, one of the things with that, I'm, I'm sure you saw this, but I started I started writing pit parts for our cadences. I did not notice that. <laughs> so in, in the fall of 20, we, we had finished uh, warming up uh, for the, and, and you, you know the, the practice field that we have, we finished, no, we've moved to a different field. Anyway, Anyway, we're at a different location now. We were to the side, like in the end zone, warming up, doing our normal warm up with uh, pit and battery together. We finished all that, and I said, "Okay, pit, start moving over to the front of the field. We're going to go through the cadence here a couple of times before we come over." One of the guys in the pit just made a random comment. He said, "You should write a pit part for the cadence." Well. That's a great idea. Had you told me a month ago, <laughs> I would have done that. You know, so the next year coming into 21, I was like, I'm going to do this somehow. Uh, uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. So then I knew I couldn't take like an old um, a, a drum corps cadence and like write a pit part to a drum corps cadence. That's not going to, that's like sacrilege. So I took, it actually happened to be the 20th year that I was at UAB, so I took the cadence from my very first year at UAB. Uh, the creative title was 2001 UAB Drumline Cadence, by the way. <laughs> Never came up with a weird title for that one. Uh, but I took that, re rewrote it for today's kids, and added a pit part to it. And um, I was like, that's fun. And then so last year for 22, I was like, I want to write, a longer thing. So my creative outlet has been writing a full ensemble thing that serves as a cadence when the pit is not with us, but we can play it together and make it sound like a composition. So um, last year was more of a Latin groove type thing. Ritmos de la wait, Ritmos de la Ciudad, Rhythms of the City. Um, and it started off, I, I wrote I wrote the battery part first for that. I said, let me just write it like a cadence first, where it sounds good as a cadence. And then I went back after that, and I was like, okay, well, now I've written all this Latin stuff, and I don't know anything about Latin melodies and harmonies. <laughs> so I've really written myself into a corner here. Um, but I ended up, you know, I researched a little bit of that and quickly found out that I was like, I don't know enough to make that sound right. So I made it work in other ways but it was fun and so now i'm in now that classes are over i'm like okay i can start writing this year's cadence um it's going to be the same thing with battery and front ensemble um i've 
directly ripped off one of my favorite bands for the main riff of the cadence. Uh, and now I've just got to figure out how to make all that work. I think that's like an interesting little, uh, I guess, new, new avenue. Um, I remember whenever I was marching at Music City, like we would have like ensemble live tunes, but it would just be with the front ensemble doing it. Like we would yeah. never do like full ensemble live tunes unless it was show music with mm-hmm. the battery. Um, so I think that, and I know that y'all do like a pregame live show. Um, so mm-hmm. I think at being able to add the front ensemble into that, that's a that's a cool little aspect into that for sure. Well, I've always felt really strongly about integrating the front ensemble mm-hmm. in, into that. It's it's that's <laughs> battery parts are great. I love listening to a good drum line and all, but you know, listening to a full ensemble and the way that you can make all those parts interact and support each other and highlight each other and work together and is is that's what's fascinating to me because like over the summer i'll get our scores for writing the the marching band stuff and that's like my favorite creative time is when i can write my drumline stuff that goes with the wind score and i can help it i can help support it give impact when we need to give impact um you know fill up the the potato notes as i call them the whole notes that happen you know that's like blank slate okay what kind of crazy rhythm can i come up with um, and so, so, you know, util, utilizing that, you know, I've been doing front ensemble warmups with the battery for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was just the next, the next step in that evolution. So, um, and, and, you know, when I do choose to write another article, I'm going to use that. That's the subject, right? Mm-hmm. Integrating front ensemble into a cadence. Why would you do that? Well, I wouldn't be doing it had someone not suggested it. <laughs> right. So, um, but it's a, it's a really, it's, it's a great way for me to like work on my creativity. Um, but yeah, if you look on my, on my YouTube, no, it's on the UAB percussion YouTube channel. Um, there, there is obviously performance videos of us doing the cadence, but I also did a score scrolling video of the, of the notation with the, with the sound file. Okay. So that was before we learned it. So like over the summer, um, you know, I put that out there just so everybody can see. And you know, and I, I'm I'm not one to where I'm like, don't steal my ideas. You know, if you do steal something, just you know, mention that you gave me credit. If not, I don't care. Right. Um, and I, you know, I put that stuff out there, and just the same way, like on my website, I put some old drumline music. I'm like, there's no copyright on my rhythms. <laughs> right. You know. Um, and one of my next projects, hopefully, I'm going to do a little bit more this summer. Um, is to like go back and archive all of the music that I've written, all the drumline stuff that I've written, get it online, get a website done for that. Because, you know, some of the stuff that I did 20, 25 years ago, that marching band show is never going to be done again. You know, like the first year that I was writing for Georgia, we did a, a music a tribute to The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. That show is never going to exist anymore. So that music has just been sitting in a file. So if someone can read through it and get some ideas or go, man, that's really old school, or man, that's terrible, or if there's one little measure in there that someone likes, or if someone just uses it to work on their sight reading, great. You know, but it, all that music does absolutely no good to me sitting in a, in a folder. Right. Now, organizing it all and putting it online, that's a completely different story. I've been, yeah, 30 years worth of drumline charts is something else. Well, just a little bit at a time. But, <laughs> and let me let me ask you this. Do you plan on putting that, like, on the the studio drumline website or, like, on your own website or a little bit of both? Well, I'm probably going to – I've started making my own Google website, website mm-hmm. uh, and you can help me with this. I don't know whether to call it um, doctor's notes or Dr. Beats. Um, so anyway, that's, yeah, it'll be its own standalone site sometime. And, okay. um, you know, but uh, it, on, on my site, I'll link to it. Right now I have a separate link to, to drumline music, but, um, you know, I just got to thinking about it and I was like, I need to just put everything out there. And so you can kind of look at the evolution of how it started, you know, back in, back when I first started, I mean, and that was one of the best things for me was that I was able to teach 
uh, that line as an undergrad. I mean, I had aged out from drum corps and I, I took the six year plan from undergrad. <laughs> um, yep, yep, gotta do what you gotta do. Uh, but I knew I was just going to go to graduate school, so I wasn't in any hurry. I was having a good time. I was great, getting great experience. Um, but, I, you know, writing for the drumline uh, was great. Um, you know, one of the assistant band directors uh, at the time, you know, we were talking about it. And he was like, oh, you're going to be writing the music? And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of nervous about it. He's like, do me a favor. When you write the pit parts, don't just double the flutes and clarinets. Don't just double the woodwinds, right? new music i was like okay i had no idea how to do that but so i had to like okay i've got to think about something different now this is the template this is the chord progression what's going to work on a marimba that will fit mm -hmm. and so i mean all of that just kind of goes back into the experience that i've had yeah um it was great well and i'll kind of piggyback off of that too especially like okay. being a percussionist myself and i'm sure you've seen a lot of it Whenever there's people that do arrange for percussion, whether they're percussionists or not, there's a lot of doubling of parts. And I, I'm just like that assistant director. Don't, don't do that. Like, right. We have part or the, the front ensemble specifically has things that they could add to help enhance uh -huh. what's going on in the winds. That doesn't need to be doubled. So, right. Be a little more creative right. than that. So this is a, <laughs> there's, there's two things with that. Um, the first thing is that um, I have at some times m challenged myself to make a drumline arrangement, a front ensemble arrangement where you could not tell what the song was. <laughs> like, I don't want to hear any of the melody or make it, or make it recognizable at all. If you just hear it by itself, it should just sound cool by itself mm -hmm. okay the the other thing that i've used and i've done this for a long time um is when i'm writing battery parts i try to make it to where you can recognize the song from the battery like oh that sounds like whatever whatever i hear the melody there in the bass drums and it kind of passes off into your pattern well, like, good that's right. i don't just want to just be this random collection of notes so um you know that's why that's why i like going from a template of the wind score and being able to write to that as opposed to um you know like when like when i have when i have to write a cadence it is like start from scratch can you come up with original notes uh i got myself freaked out a long time ago i was like all the notes have been written everything's been done how many different combinations of right and left can you come up with for snare drum well people aren't done yet <laughs> so um yeah that's just a couple of different ways i think about it I don't, I don't do that all the time with the pit parts but you know that was just like a challenge i gave myself i wonder if i could do that you know to make it just a standalone thing to where you couldn't really tell what the what the melody was right um that was fun so it doesn't work all the time um, it's not something i'm gonna actively do for every piece from now on but it was just for that one tune I thought it would be a, a neat little challenge. So Yeah, no, I never thought about doing that, but um, mm -hmm. I think that's probably a good practice or exercise for a lot of arrangers or composers to mm -hmm. at least give a try. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, we'll just kind of start wrapping up here. So to kind of go with the theme of the podcast, I know at one point you were a Coke Zero guy. So what's your favorite go-to coffee <laughs> or caffeinated beverage? It's literally just um, two cups of regular coffee in the morning. I'm not a daytime coffee drinker. Every once in a while, I um, I will. Um, but, you know, and I haven't res resorted to anything like um, Red Bull or any kind of energy drinks like late in the, late in the day. Um, two cups of regular Joe in the, in the morning, no extra flavor, no extra anything it's just a little bit of a uh, little bit of cream a little bit of sugar yeah i've gotten <laughs> um, there too i used to i used to have a little bit of coffee with my cream and sugar but now i'm just give it to me straight right right 
Um, and then, uh, you know, sometimes if, you know, if I go out to a restaurant, I'll just have a Coke or something. Just, um, I don't do Diet Coke anymore. I started reading that Diet Coke was like bad for you or something. And so I'm like, okay, well, and I've just switched to more water. Okay. And then last thing, I know you talked about it a little bit, um, but are there any other pro uh, projects or, uh, any presentations or anything that you have coming up that you would like to promote? Like I mentioned the, my list of pieces that I have some names for, um, mm -hmm. some of them may be percussion ensembles. Some of them may be solo things. I, you know, I do want, I do want to be able to write some more to come up with some more original music. That's, you know, really satisfying, but, um, again, I just have to find the right inspiration. Right. Um, you know, the biggest project for me now is um, just making sure that the, you know, the percussion area at UAB is thriving. Mm -hmm. um, just last week, I got our um, uh, video back from the spring concert. So I'll be chopping that up and putting that up on YouTube and uh, just trying to promote things on, on social media best I can. And one, one project that I do have and I, I thought I was going to be able to do it like over Christmas and going into the into the spring semester but that didn't happen um, but there's an app that I discover, discovered uh, app and website also called Moises which is basically noises with an M M-O-I-S-E-S -E you can upload a song and then mix it however you want to mix uh, and then re-download that resulting MP3. So what I'm going to do, take the drums out, re-download the song, so I could do Tom Sawyer if I wanted to. Now that's not going to work because it starts with drums. Right. So, you know, um, <clears throat> and then play along to that, play along to the tune with my with my headphones, uh -huh. record myself playing, and then mix my playing with the original uh, with the original recording that has the drums taken out of it and then me just being replacing that. So that's a little project that I would like to do. Um, I, I've been kind of rediscovering my drum set persona. <laughs> um, well, well, right when I left too, I think you're starting to get back into a uh, drum set mm -hmm. at least a little bit. I think you were. Well, that's when I did that, that recital, the right. recital where I put the rock together. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You're right. That was it. Yep. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to do that again, but it, it fell through for various reasons. And uh, so this is like the next way that I can do that. Like, you know what? You know, I, I don't want to pretend to be someone I'm not. Oh, I listen to all this different frou-frou music and, and, you know, no, I'm just, I'm still, I, I still, I'm a metalhead. You right. know, I still had visions of touring the world with a rock band. And so I find a lot of my influence from a lot of the progressive rock that I listen to. I mentioned the cadence that I'm writing. Yeah, it came, you know, the riff came from Porcupine Tree, you know? <laughs> just, yeah, I'm like, I listen to the song, I'm like, man, that's, that is just killer. I can't not use it. Right. Let's well, do it, so. Again, it kind of goes back to the, what we were talking about earlier, not, not all music is you music. It's all been mm -hmm. taken at some point or, uh, right. Whether it is new music and it was inspired by somebody, so. Right. <clears throat> you know, and I've also discovered that um, as a musician, sometimes um, we get so involved in listening to um, the the finer points of the music. The you know, what does the melody do, and what is this harmonic progression, and. Um, what is, the, what is the form, and is it art music and whatever? And you know what? Sometimes music just sounds cool. <laughs> so in the same way that, like, I'll, every once in a while, I'll put on, like, the Transformers movie, you know? And it's like, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> the plot and the dialogue is ridiculous. Right. But I still like to watch stuff, robots blow up other robots, and, you know, it's just fun to look at. So in the same way, you know, sometimes music is just, it's fun to listen to. It just mm -hmm. sounds good. It's mixed well. Um, there's interesting timbres or interesting combinations of things that are just, on the surface, that's what they are. It's just 
It just sounds good. Well, Doc, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you. Uh, and, you know, we hope that you, you check out some more of our episodes and we will definitely have you back on again in the future. If, if I write anything else, I'll let you know. <laughs> Sounds good. And then we'll make sure that we can yeah, thanks. record it up. So. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the time. It was good catching up with you and uh, getting to talk about uh, some of the some of the things that I've done in the past. And uh, it's always fun to share some of those stories about how they come to be and and how I ended up where 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 I am now. Yeah, so for sure. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, and we'll talk to you again later. All right, man. All Take right. care. Have a good one. Bye. All right. Bye bye. <laughs>